I'd like to say good morning to all of you this morning. I'm glad that you chose to be here. I want you to know that it's an honor and a privilege for me to be able to stand before you and share a portion of God's Word. If you're a visitor, we want you to know that we're very glad you're here. The lesson we're going to give is probably not one of the more comfortable lessons that I've given. Uh, I've struggled with making it come out the way I want, but I want you to know that it's given in love. I care about everyone here. And the purpose, we always come up with a purpose of a lesson, and I suppose if I had a purpose, it would be to bring your minds into remembrance. And as we look at the apostles time and time again, as they preached to the disciples and they taught them, they said, I bring you into remembrance. And then they would tell them what they wanted them to focus on. And so that's kind of the purpose of what we're going to do today. It's not going to be anything that you haven't considered in the past, but I hope that this morning we'll focus a little closer on the topic at hand. And I hope that it can help you as it has helped me. One of the things that caused me to think about this was the very fact that when we talk about the Pharisees, we get real frustrated when we study the Pharisees. And we think how ridiculous it was that they had the Savior of all mankind standing right before them and they could not see it. And they consistently went back and said, We are the seed of Abraham. We have Abraham. And they leaned on that with all their might, that they were chosen because of their lineage. And we go, how silly. Why would anyone do that? But then you think about the new age and the Christian age, and sometimes we hear people say, well, it doesn't matter. You can be mad at God. You can do what you want. You can do all of these things because you have Christ and you have safety in Christ. And so we see people that lean real heavy on the safety. And they begin to justify the things that they want to do in life because they have Christ. So I want to bring into your remembrance this morning that there is another side of God that all Christians need to be aware of, and the whole world needs to be aware of. And I think it's one of the main issues that we have in the world today. Do we know the terror of the Lord? Do you know as an individual? Turn with me to first, or 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 where we had Paul saying, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now I want to ask you this morning, do you persuade men because you know the terror of the Lord? You as an individual, do you feel a responsibility to warn those that you care about that walk upon this earth that do not attend church? Do you have concern for their soul because you know the terror of the Lord? It's a serious question. It's one that Paul posed and he said, we know this and that's why we do what we do. Is that why you do what you do? When we have a gospel meeting, which we have coming up, and people ask you for names of friends and people that you care about, that you're concerned about the way they're living and whether or not they're right with God, do you give those names to the leadership of the congregation? Better yet, do you come out and attend and go with the leadership of the congregation and visit these people that you have influence with? Do we do that as an individual? 
Do we know the terror of the Lord? Do we really believe the terror of the Lord is going to come upon all those that obey not the gospel and know not God? I hope we do. I hope you do, and I hope I do. And I want to tell you, when I was looking at this, I was seeing things slip in my own life because I was weighing on Christ's grace and His mercy to help me and allow me to do things, even though they weren't exactly black and white, that maybe I'd slip over in that gray area a little bit. Because, see, I'd forgot about that terror of the Lord. And I'd forgot about the wrath of God. And so I hope that we can remind one another about that this morning. Do you really know the terror of the Lord? Are you fearful when you know that you have sinned? This is an important question. Does sin bother you when it creeps into your life? Because it creeps into all of our lives. In all kinds of aspects. You have a weakness that I don't have. I have a weakness that you don't have. But I'm going to tell you today, all of us have weaknesses that cause us to sin. Everyone. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The apostles admitted to weaknesses in their life and things that they struggled with and they wanted to kick out to be closer to God and yet they derailed them at times in their life. And I promise you, if you don't think you are being derailed in some way, you are not evaluating your life in all honesty. Because the devil is very good at what he does. Is it a big deal when we sin? Do we take time to deal with our sin immediately? Or do we wait? Do we try to hide our sin or hide from our sin? You ever had something happen and you, you think about when you was a kid. You had something happen, you broke something or you did something that you knew your parents were going to be upset about. Did you run to them and say, hey, I did this. Can we just talk about this now? You didn't do that, did you? You might have took the pieces and brushed them under the couch or under the, under the mattress. You might have walked around looking pitiful and your, fo your folks already know something's not right. They see it all over you, don't they? And you're just dreading that they're going to know. And then you've got to face up to it, don't you? Is that how we handle sin? Are we waiting to take care of that in our life? How do we deal with it? In Philippians 2 and 12, it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Do these emotions play a part in your life today? Do you work out your salvation with fear and trembling? I would put forth to you that if you don't, then you are not walking the way that you should because that's what we were instructed to do. Sin should be a serious enough thing when it comes into our life. We should be worried about our relationship with God. We should be worried about where it puts us with God. These emotions are absolutely essential to us being where we need to be as Christians. In Ephesians 5, verses 5 and 6, it says, For this you know, that no whoremonger... That's talking about people committing fornication, sexual acts outside of marriage. And I want to tell you today, if you're involved in that, your sin is in between you and God. And it's just a fact. 
just like any other sin will separate you from God. Fornication is not permitted by God Almighty. It's just not. He says, nor unclean person. If you were listening to the radio program this morning, I appreciated Brother Joe Carrasco, and he talked about a time in his life when he was covered with sin. He was living as an unclean person. And he said nothing felt better than when he got rid of that, got that out of the way. I want to tell you this morning, if you're living a life of sin and your life is covered in things that you know are wrong and you're not changing those things, sitting in this building will not cure that. But the terror of the Lord will. Whatever it is, we need to understand how serious God is. Now I want to give you some absurd examples because I think they bring out exactly what I'm trying to talk about. And they're real life today. Two weeks ago, I was watching the news, and they found another tunnel under the border to bring drugs into the country. You know, we've heard that time and time again. I don't know how many hundreds of those things they've found in the last 20 years. But this was interesting. They were showing pictures, and this thing had little train rails where they could take carts and move heavy amounts of drugs. And it had lights, and it was fancy. But you know the part they didn't talk about that very much that really amazed me? Is there was a cutout in the side of that thing, and it had an archway. And inside there were all these candles burning. And they were candles of saints. And they said these drug uh, traffickers would go by, they would kneel down on one knee, and they would pray to these saints to give them safe passage to go and take the drugs into the United States. Now, is that not absurd? God, would you bless me to take something that would destroy lives, would cause rape, molestation, all kinds of sin that we can't imagine, murder, and I'm going to pray to God to bless me in that? Can you imagine? And that's exactly what they had set up right there. Please take care of me and keep me safe, God, while I carry these drugs to people to destroy their lives. Isn't that absurd? Can you imagine doing something like that? You know, other people do the same thing, and I've seen this before, where they pray to the saints with candles, and they set up this place, and they lay money there, and they lay lottery tickets. You ever been in anybody's home where they had lottery tickets laying there and they've got a place where they pray to God to win the lottery because the money would fix their life and that's what they really believe? You ever seen that? I have. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Does that seem absurd to you this morning? That we would pray for things that are bad for us? Well, I ask you, is this our attitude about the things we want in life? Even if they would harm us spiritually, do we pray for God to help us obtain worldly things? Whether it be money, cars, a new house, whether it be prestige that I can prove I'm a good business person and I'm successful, or I can make all of you like me and I can be important in the community, all of these different things that wrap our life up tight and cause anxiety and cause us to forget about what we need to be doing for God? Do we do these things? Do we spend more time dwelling on the things that we don't have instead of being thankful for the things that we do have? 
You know, I saw an a, uh, interview with an individual, a doctor, had been involved in some very terrible things in his life, doing these abortions, had done many of them. You know what changed his life? When he walked outside with his family and they were fixing to go somewhere and his little daughter ran out in traffic and got hit by a car. And she died in his arms. And so he was trying to recover from that and he took some time off and he went back to work and he went in to do the first abortion after this had happened and he's doing a late-term abortion and he's carving up this baby and taking inventory of the pieces as he goes. And he said, I saw a child for the first time. And he said, I nearly threw up. And he said, I shook and I trembled. And he said, I went to my partners and I said, I cannot do this. And he said, they were very generous. They let him out. They didn't make him be a partner, a partner in the thing anymore. You know, I don't know where that man's life is, but I know that at some point the absurd that he had been involved in became very real to him that it was a terrible thing. Do you know sin does that to you and I today? It does the exact same thing. It sneaks into our life, it wraps us up tight, and we can't even see it. And then one day we see all this ugly and what it has caused. And hopefully we fear and we tremble. And we get down on our knees and we beg for God to forgive us. I want to tell you today, and I apologize for this. You know, when we get told we're going to do a lesson, we've got quite a bit of time to get that ready. And since I put this lesson together, I think this particular point that I'm hung up on a little bit here has been hit four times. And so I beg for you to just have some patience this morning. We have people today in our government who call themselves Christians who celebrated and clapped and cheered at the passing of more lenient and gruesome rules for aborting babies to the point that they can now be killed even after being born if that was the mother's intent. And when I heard that and when I saw it on the news and when I looked at it, my knees felt weak. And I said, are you kidding me? Can they be that absurd about something like that? That now we can just kill a baby and it don't matter. Really? And that's okay. They clapped and they cheered like they had done some great thing. So a few weeks later, the federal government decides to get involved. And they come up with a bill and they want to pass this bill that says if a baby survives abortion then it's got to be taken care of like any other baby. So we're going to pass some laws to protect this baby. And do you know it failed miserably in the federal government? Failed to take care of a baby that's here in front of us, born, alive, on the table, survived the risk that it was just put through by the man's hands that caused it. And it failed Are we trusting in the government to take care of us? Are we trusting in our fellow man to make everything okay for our life? I want to tell you today, if you're trusting in the government and if you're trusting in man, your trust is in the wrong place. Because only God Almighty can forgive the absurdity of sin in man's life.
Now, I want you to see what God thought about some of this type of behavior. I want to remind you of something God left for us from years gone by in Jeremiah, the seventh chapter, in verse 28. He says, But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished, and is cut off from their mouth. Cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away, and take up a lamentation on high places. For the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of His wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. They have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. God couldn't believe it. It made him sick. And his knees buckled. And he said, it didn't even enter my heart that they could... They were offering this as a sacrifice? Their children? Really? He said, it's absurd. How in the world? And his wrath is coming out. And he says, the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in my house. They have built the high places of Tophet. They have burned their sons and daughters in fire, which I commanded them not. Verse 32, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall be no more called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place, and the carcasses of this people shall be meat for the fowls of the heaven, and for the beasts of the earth, and none shall fray them away. Then will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. Does it sound in here like God was happy about people killing their children? It doesn't matter what the federal government believes. It doesn't matter what people in a far country believe. What matters is what God believes, and God said it was bad. And He was upset that people were involved in it. To the point, He said, there would be desolation and death. He said they would bury bodies in that valley till there was nowhere to put another one in the ground. And He said then they'd just lie out there on the ground and the birds would eat them. Sound like a place you want to be with God? Sound like anything you want to be anywhere near? Is the terror of the Lord ringing a bell with you this morning? That the society we live in is ignoring the terror of the Lord. In Jeremiah 10 and 10 it says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting King. At His wrath the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide His indignation. Do you know the terror of the Lord? It's written in Scripture, folks. It's been there for thousands of years for you and I to learn from. And I ask you to remember as sin tries to creep into your life, remember the terror of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 10, and verses 8-12, through 12, again, he says, "...neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty 
thousand, twenty-three thousand believers of God's fell in one day to fornication. They were committing sexual acts outside the bonds of marriage. And it said 23,000 of them fell. And I'm just going to tell you today, all across the land, churches everywhere that I have been, there are times when people in the church are involved in fornication. And I'm going to tell you, it's a sin. It's been a sin. It will continue to be a sin. And it will cause you to be lost on Judgment Day if you do not reconcile, repent, and make it right with God. It's a fact. He says, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. He said, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Do we tempt Christ? Do we want Him to protect us when we're doing absurd things that are sinful? If we are, we're tempting Him. If we're praying for Him to protect us and help us while we commit and keep our sin, we are tempting Christ. He says, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. You ever murmured? You ever complained about your plight in life? You ever talked about how bad things were, and how come everybody else has it easy, and how come this, and how come that, and why does that happen to me, and it's not fair, and then we hear this stuff about being mad at God, and it's okay. Does it sound like it's okay? Does it sound like it's okay to murmur? I'm going to tell you, I don't know how many of you have been involved in that, but I've probably been involved in that. I'm going to say I have. Feeling like life is just not fair. Feeling like sometimes I get a raw deal. And then you stop and you think, I had parents that raised me to love Jesus. I had a church that cared enough to care about me when I wasn't very good. And pick me up when I was down. You know how many people don't have that in the world today? How many people don't have access to that because they don't even know it exists? Can you imagine living life without these fellow Christians to help you? To encourage you? A lot of people don't have that. Murmuring causes people to be destroyed by the destroyer. He goes on in verse 11 and he says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Was he talking to people that were just sorry people and were no good? No. He was talking to people that he expected to follow Christ, that wanted to be right with God. And he said, you need to look at these examples. And he said, these people we're reading about, they're gone. Life's over. They're in the grave. And whatever they did and however they lived, it's over. It's done. But we need to learn from that. We need to take that example. And we need to be better people. Because we can read about those mistakes. And we can correct those things in our own lives. You know, God knew that you and I would have a hard time remembering His severity if we didn't have writings to remind us. He knew we'd forget that. 
We need to be using this admonition that's given to us in Scripture to strengthen ourselves against the ways of the world. Because I'm just going to tell you folks, the ways of the world are pushing on the church like they never have before. They want in those doors out there. And they want in here. And they want to tell you what you can and can't do in your worship service. And they want to tell you what's right and wrong in your worship service. Not what God says is right and wrong. They want to tell you what they think is right and wrong. And then they want you to act accordingly. We can't do that. We can't give in to that. And we cannot allow ourselves to be influenced in such a way that we forget the severity of God. We want to look at some examples in the Old and New Testament that were left for us. In Psalms 90 and verse 11 and 12, it says, Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. In Jeremiah 32 and verse 40, he says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. You know, the fear of God properly placed in our hearts can keep us from turning away from God. When it's used properly, it's a motivator. It sets parameters for us that we don't set for ourselves without it. Do we number our days and live them like they could be our last here on earth? What did you do yesterday? What did I do yesterday? Did we live it like it was the last one we had? Were we concerned about the things of God? Or were we concerned about the things of the world? And how much of our day did we spend doing either one? The fear of the Lord motivates us to go and spend time doing God's work. And without it, we don't do much of God's work. We get too busy. One day it will be our last. And I ask you, are you ready right now to face God? If today was the day, are you prepared? In Ezekiel 7, in verse 4, he says, And mine eyes shall not spare thee, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense thy ways upon thee, and, and thine abominations shall be in the midst of thee, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. In verse 14, he says, They have blown the trumpet, even to make all ready, but none goeth to the battle. For my wrath is upon all the multitude thereof. The sword is without, and the pestilence and the famine within. He that is in the field will die with the sword, and he that is in the city, famine and pestilence shall devour him. But they that escape of them shall escape, and shall be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning. Every one for his iniquity. All hands shall be feeble, and all knees shall be weak as water. So he paints a picture here. And he says those on the outside of the city, they're going to be killed by the sword because here comes the army, and they're going to take them out while they're out there. They don't have the protection, and they're going to die at the end of a sword. He says those on the inside, they're going to be surrounded. They're not going to have a way out, and they're going to die of starvation and disease. You ever seen anything about the Holocaust when they had everybody pinned up where they couldn't get out? 
You ever seen the, the, the case? They talked about all the lice and the disease that got into those situations because people were just stacked in there and they were starved and their immune systems got bad. You ever seen any of those pictures, how horrible they are? God's given us one right here. A very vivid picture of what's going to happen to these people. He said, even the ones who escaped to the mountains would be miserable mourning the loss of loved ones and trying to gain their stamina and just figure out what they were going to do. So the fear of the Lord is very real. It was very real then and it's very real today. We do not want to be on the wrong side of God when our time comes. We need to recognize the importance of a healthy fear of the Lord and why it is critical for us to be able to walk closer to God each day. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that what everybody here wants to do, is walk closer yet tomorrow than we walk today with God? I hope it is. That's what God wants from us. In Proverbs 1 and verse 7, we read this verse a lot. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Why would anyone change their life if they don't think anything's wrong with it? Unless they had the fear of the Lord when they realized they were on the wrong side of God. Do you ever change anything in your life if you don't see anything wrong with it? I'm going to tell you right now, I know that my cholesterol is bad. I know it. You know what Paul did? I hadn't been back to the doctor in three years since he told me it was bad. You think my cholesterol is better today? I eat horrible. I eat whatever I want. And that's, you can tell, I'm not telling you anything. This is a remembrance thing, right? Man, I, I found a deal. I eat a half avocado every week that comes with this meal at this certain restaurant when I'm out of town. And I eat it. You know why I eat it? Because I finally found something that's good. You eat in a restaurant every day, you get sick of all of it. And man, this avocado and this carnitas, and that's more than you need to know, is good. You know what it's not good for? Weight. It ain't making me lose weight. And you know, I, I tell myself, I'm trying, I'm getting on a treadmill, I'm trying to eat two meals a day instead of three, and I'm doing all these things, and then I go eat this carnitas and guacamole. And, but it's only one time a day. The doctor told me my cholesterol's bad. Do you think I fear what cholesterol is going to do to my life? And you know the doctor did his best, I guarantee you. He said, Paul, it's not the heart attack that kills you. He said, it's the one that leaves you there where you can't function. And I said, whew, I don't want that. He said, then you better clean your cholesterol up. I said, okay. Three years ago, hadn't done it. I don't have any fear of that. It hadn't happened yet. What if it happens? Paul would be shaking pretty bad. That heart attack came around. And some of you have had heart attacks. Scared me when you had one. Some of you is in a whole lot better shape than I am. <coughs> Blows my mind. But the fear is not great enough to change my bad habits. Does that make sense? Sin is the same way. The only time you're going to get rid of sin is if you really believe God is going to punish you for that sin. And that's when people clean their life up. And if they don't believe there's a better incentive or a better way, then they're not going to change. So I'm giving this to you to remind you 
And I understand the weakness is very real for all of us. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 16 and verse 6 says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Over and over and over again in Scripture, God tells us that's what causes people to change. And I'm going to give you an example because I think it's a good one and it has stuck with me for years. There was a guy that was about my age and he was in Arkansas and he did a study with Brother David Minson. And the, the, the names don't really matter, but you know David, I want you to have some context. And he did this Bible study, and they got through, and this guy says, What's, i got to be baptized. What do I need to do? He said, we can do it now. He said, let's go. And they said, well, the church there didn't have a baptistry. They said, well, we can drive about 40 miles over here, and they've got a baptistry, and it's heated and all that. He said, no, we can't drive that far. Something might happen to me. And they went down to the river, and they broke ice, and they put a car right by the river with blankets and the heater on high. And he went out there in freezing cold water and baptized this guy. And he rose up walking in newness of life. And then they threw him in the car before they died of hypothermia. <laughs> do you think the fear of the Lord shook this man's soul and caused him to do something different? I'm going to tell you, anybody get in that water, you know they do that now, they jump in the frozen water and it's supposed to be cute and all that. I'm going to tell you, I've been in some cold water and it ain't cute. Ain't nothing fun about it. But if the fear of the Lord has struck you and you have not been baptized, I would put forth to you that you'll do whatever it takes to get right with God. And if you don't have the fear of the Lord, if you don't know the terror of the Lord, you won't. In Acts, the ninth chapter, in verse 31, it says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. Did the fear of the Lord sound like a bad thing there? It says these people had it, and they were walking in it, and what was it doing? It was causing them to make sure they were right with God. And what did that cause? It caused peace. It caused comfort. It caused tranquility. And it caused them to be multiplied. It was a better way to live. It had benefits, didn't it? Understanding the fear of the Lord and living the way God wants has benefits. It's the greatest way to live on the planet. No one has anything better to offer. God gives us the closest thing that we can have to peace and comfort on this earth when we follow Him. Hebrews 12 and verse 28 says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. You ever read that? Let's read that again. As we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Why? Why would we do that? For our God is a consuming fire. Sometimes we look at those scriptures and we just glaze right over them. I want to tell you this morning, God is a consuming fire. 
He will wrap you up tight and He will keep you at peace if you're living right with Him. And He will make sure that you have the tools you need to be successful in life, to love the Lord and walk in peace and be at comfort. But I want to tell you, if you're wrong with God and you're outside of His comfort zone, He's a consuming fire. And He expects the people in this building to know that. And He expects us to live in such a way that it would exemplify that to those around us. In Revelations chapter 6 and verse 15, it says, "...the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains." and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Does that sound like your money's going to buy you safety? Does it sound like who you are is going to buy you safety? Are you going to be ready to... Stand up and dance when the great and terrible day of the Lord comes and judgment day has come and Jesus is coming back and vengeance is being put out upon all the earth. Are you going to be happy? I want to tell you, I want to be happy that day, but it don't sound like it's going to be very happy. I think the end result will be happy. I think the process will be terrifying. I think the awesome power of God will cause all of us to hit the ground and beg for mercy and pray that we are right and that Jesus will enter in our defense a plea that this is one of mine, Lord. In Revelations 14 and verse 7 it says, Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and sea and the fountains of waters. I want to tell you this morning, Judgment Day is coming. And it will come as a thief in the night. Are you ready for that? Are you as an individual ready for Judgment Day? In Matthew 27 and verse 50 through 54 is when Jesus was upon the cross and it says, Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, He yielded up the ghost and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after His resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now I want to tell you, the Romans were the fiercest warriors the earth had ever known at that point. They were taught to have no fear of anything from the time they were very young. But when they were there on, on the day of Pentecost, they were there when Christ was dying on the cross. And when they saw the earth shake, when they saw what was going on there, you had a centurion, a fierce warrior, led many warriors. And he said they, they feared greatly. 
to the point that it made believers out of them. The fear of God caused them to believe that Christ was the Son of God. I want to ask you this morning, does the fear of God make you believe that Jesus existed? Do you really believe beyond the shadow of a doubt this morning that the Son of God came here, lived on this earth, walked and taught and wanted people to follow Him and died, was buried and resurrected on the third day so that you and I could have a Savior. You and I could be saved from our absurdity of sin. Do you believe that this morning? Are you right with God should He come today? I leave that question with you. I hope that this lesson has caused you to remember what we've been told in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I hope that you and I can do that. I hope that we have been doing that. I hope we get better at it in the days to come. We don't know the hearts and minds of those here. If you haven't known the terror of the Lord, if you've been living in such a way that you've been harboring your sin and praying to God to forgive you, or praying to God to help you anyway as you do not get away from sin, consider this morning where you are. Do the right thing. Come forward and allow God to forgive you. Allow repentance to take place in your life and walk out of here in the comfort and the safety of God's hands. We ask you to come as we stand and sing.